Let me pray real quick as we enter into um, our time together in the word of the Lord. So, Father, we thank you for this day. And, and we thank you for your provision. Uh, that is, again, that is no small thing. Lord, you, you have proven time and time and time again in the 150-some-odd years of this church's ministry that you will always provide. Uh, you just come through in all kinds of different ways, um, but you're, you're always there, and you continue to bear fruit through the ministries of this church, uh, and so we're so thankful for that. Uh, but Father, we're, we're most thankful for the hope that we have in your son Jesus. And as we wrap up this study in the book of Revelation, uh, Lord, just in all honesty, uh, we need your help. We need your spirit to guide us and to lead us into the specifics of how we can then carry these things out in our lives. And so, Lord, help me today, help all of us today, uh, that these truths would be anchored into our lives and would deeply affect us um, for um, not just today, but tomorrow and, and five years, 10 years, 15 years down the road, that these things would help us to endure the good times, the bad times, just the, just the monotonous times of life. Because we know we're all going to have those moments, and yet you never change. You are, you were, and you will be to come. And so we're so thankful. Lord, we pray that you would be glorified in everything that is said and done the rest of our time together. In your name, amen. All right, so uh, like it's been said, uh, what a journey this has been. Uh, so we've been in the book of Revelation for seven months for us on staff. We've been in it since last year. Um, Brandon, who did our communion, was actually joking this morning that he came on staff when we started Revelation, and he was like, man, do you guys do anything but Revelation? Because that's all we've been doing since uh, he's been on staff. Um, but nonetheless, it's been a, a fantastic time. Uh, we've loved it. And in the midst of that seven months, here's what I know. We have not even come close to answering all your questions. Like, Never, didn't even come close. Didn't even touch on that. There's so many other questions. We could get into more details. We could get into nuances of things. We could get into to Daniel. We could get into Ezekiel. And so we totally realize that even seven months isn't enough to address the beauty that is in the book of Revelation. And, and listen, uh, we also know that not everybody in this room agrees with everything we've said in this space, that you don't all align with that, and that's okay. Um, we're always, as elders, myself personally, our pastors, we're always open to talking with you. If you've got deeper questions or you, you just want to know more information of how we came to some of these conclusions. But all of that to say that if you remember when we started this whole series, we started with some specific goals in mind. So, some real goals that we wanted to engage as we came to the series. And I want to kind of go back to those goals. And, and I want us to look at those this morning, as well as some things that I think we need to remember as we come out of the book of Revelation. Some things I hope that you can carry on and, and remember, even as you study the book of Revelation in your own lives. So if you remember, all the way back when we started this in January, one of the first goals that we said, which was at the heart of what we wanted to do, was this. We wanted our hearts to be stirred to a greater zeal for faithfulness to the Lord. Like that's one of, was one of our goals. And I hope that's the case. I mean, because when you look at the book of Revelation, it's really similar to like what we see in our own lives. I mean, 
Um, it's like the imagery we engage when we watch a movie and it stirs us to love our spouse with a little bit more zeal or, or, or maybe if you're a single to pursue a romance with a little bit more zeal or to pursue creativity with a little bit more zeal or maybe to, to join the army because you, uh, you, you have a little bit more zeal for our, our country and you want to protect it. Like Images matter and they should stir us to a greater passion for the things that those images point us to. And we've seen some images in this text, haven't we? Like, like we saw the image of a lion who was a lamb that was slain. And I pray that image has stuck with you. I pray that it still sticks with you. An image that, that changes your view of power and humility and meekness. An image that reminds us that he has ultimate power, but he is not quick to wield the sword. And aren't we grateful for that? He's not quick to wield his sword. He, he's quick to lay his life down for us. He is not slow to anger, but he's gracious and merciful. Like this is our God. So we've seen that image. We've seen images of a church that is fickle and inconsistent, sometimes rebellious, and yet, at the same time, beautifully clothed in the righteous linens of Jesus Christ. Like, like, we've seen this image, right? And so you can be encouraged, and I hope that as you walk the walk of faith and you have good days and bad days, you can see, even in Revelation, yep, we're goofy and a mess, but we are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus, and we have that hope. We've seen images of a dragon who seeks to devour us, who's furious with us, who wants to kill us and harm us as God's people. I hope that that has stirred you to greater zeal to be watchful for what he is doing, to be watchful for his desires for you and your family and your loved ones, and not just to be watchful, but to be prayerful. We've seen images of beasts coming up out of, uh, of the earth and out of the sea, and these beasts seek to deceive us. They seek to give us um, visions of power that would pull us away from our true love. And I pray that that's stirred you to be more cautious with what you listen to and how you listen to things and the things people say and the doctrines that are being taught to you because these images are, are powerful for us. We've seen images of, of cities, harlots that seek to seduce us, dripping with luxuries and wealth and comfort and security, all of which will be ultimately put to shame. And I hope that that stirred you to recognize some of the world we live in and the temptations that are there. And so my, my prayer is, and our goal has always been, that we would be stirred to a greater zeal for faithfulness in our lives. Because here's the reality of it. For everyone in this room, like, our lives are really full. For some of us, that is all the more real this past week as we try to send kids to school. But they're really full. They're busy. They're full of really good times, celebratory times, um, birthdays and new births and all kinds of good things. They're full with, with grief as we lose loved ones. They're full of just going to work day in and day out to provide for our families and to care for, for those that God has put around us to help build society and to benefit others. Like, like our days are full of all kinds of things, gathering, fellowshipping, eating, putting kids to bed, all kinds of things. And in the midst of all of it, all of it, Revelation 
reminds us that we are part, as, as, as Brandon already said, we are part of a grand story. A huge story that all of the generations represented in this room are just a tiny fraction of that story, but yet we're all part of it and we're all called to participate in it. Amen? Like that's what Revelation reminds us for. And so I pray that your heart has been stirred to that kind of zeal, to be faithful in your life. But to do that, we also remember that one of our goals was to remind ourselves and to be reminded that we needed to be engaged in the battle. That there's only two options. You either fight or you die. Like this whole idea of fight or flight, that like there is no fight or flight in Revelation. It's either fight or die. Because if you flee, if you run, if you try to stick your head in the sand to what, what the enemy is trying to do in this world and what is going on in this world, that then we are going to be cut down by the enemy. We need to be people, the people of God, who engage in the battle. Because the dragon hates us. He is after us. And we've been given hope, amen? Like, we've been given weapons. We've been given encouragement. We're reminded that we get to stand behind the great rider who will come upon the horse. And his victory is already won. But we are still called to fight. And he hasn't left us without weapons of war. As Paul says in the book of Ephesians, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. The schemes of the devil. Have we not seen a lot of the schemes of the devil? Like in Revelation, does Revelation not tell us that in the history of the church, the devil is full of all kinds of schemes from seeking to kill us and persecute us, to lie to us, to deceive us, to keep us distracted. Like we are, we're to stand against these schemes and reminded that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, brothers and sisters, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. Like that holds it all together, right? Like we are going to be anchored to the truth of God's word. We're not going to be anchored to the truth of this culture. We're not going to be anchored to the truth that you find in yourself. We're not going to be anchored to any kind of truth that, that, that Satan tries to come and send our way because none of that is truth, only this is truth. Right, and so we've been given this to, to, to hold everything together and we put on the breastplate of righteousness. Not yours, not mine, but Jesus' righteousness. As shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace and in all circumstances, we take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And I just pause again, like there. Like, is it not true that Revelation tells us there are going to be seasons and moments and times in our lives where the enemy is going to throw darts at you and make you question, is God really there? Does he really care? Is he really behind this stuff? Like, is he really sovereign? Can he really fix it? And we have been given a shield 
a shield of trust and faith in the goodness of who he is. The shield of faith, which can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Brothers and sisters, church, we need to fight. Every day, every moment, fight. Dads, your role in the home, and this isn't, moms, this is your role too, but dads, I'm calling to you. It's your job to teach your kids to fight with the belt of truth and the shield of righteousness and the word of God, like to fight the enemy. Don't leave them on their own to fight against the principalities and the spiritual forces. It's your job to help lead them. Young people, junior high, high school, don't just go along with the culture. Don't just go along with what all your friends. You fight to be set apart. You fight to be holy. You fight to be the, the young men and women that God has called you to be. Don't be seduced by this world. Like we are called to fight so that the enemy would not overcome us. And this was our third goal. Our third goal as we studied the book of the Revelation was that we would be a people who would be able to overcome. That we would overcome the world and the enemy and death and sin instead of being overcome by them. Those things will not win the day. We have victory. Who do we have victory in? Jesus. Revelation reminds us Jesus has all the victory. He sits upon the throne. This overcoming, though, we need to be reminded, and Revelation does a great job of reminding us, it is not going to happen. You will not overcome these things with laziness and worldliness and apathy and compromise. It cannot happen without prayer. It cannot happen without discipline. It cannot happen without fellowship and sacrifice, suffering, even dying to yourself, to the flesh, and to this world that so easily wants to entangle us. Like it comes by day after day after day for a lifetime, even in the midst of our failures and in hardships and struggles. Day after day, standing in the goodness and victory of Jesus that has been guaranteed to us. The promised blessing of this book comes by its hearing. And remember when we talked at the very beginning, we talked about not just hearing, but hearing with the desire and the intent to keep. The desire to follow these things, to let it change the way we see the world, to let it change our lives, to let it change the way we pray, the way we spend our money, the way we engage the people that are around us. So, these have been our goals. I hope at some level we've, we've all moved to a little bit more of these in our lives, a little bit more ability to overcome in Jesus Christ and the Spirit, a little more passion to engage the battle, a little bit more zeal to live our lives faithfully. But what I want to do as we close the series, I want to go back and I want to look at if these are our goals to give you five things that this book reminds us of that I think can help us be faithful to these goals. And I hope these are your goals. I hope this is your goal for your family and for your own personal life as you seek to fight against the enemy 
But here are some things that I think we need to be reminded of. The first one is this. The sovereign hand of God in life and history, it is always there. Brothers and sisters, he sits on the throne. Revelation gives us vivid imagery of his heavenly position, and it has never been threatened. It's, it's never been threatened. No one has ever threatened to take him off the throne. In all of our rebellion, in all of Satan's rebellion, in all of the demonic rebellion, in all of the rebellion of the nations, he has never been threatened. And as I, we prayed this morning, and a reminder for every single one of us, creation started at the foot of his throne. Creation came from his throne as he spoke word. But everything in creation not only started in his throne, but ultimately is under the authority of his throne, even Satan. He can do nothing. Nothing. Even those that would rebel against him, they're still under his authority. Those that would hate him, they're still underneath his authority. Those that would refuse to acknowledge he exists, they're still under his authority. None can escape his sovereign hand. The story ends where? At his throne. The story ends at his throne when he will separate the sheep from the goats, those that are in his kingdom and those who are outside of his kingdom. And then it doesn't just end there. We see the pictures we talked about in the past couple weeks that from his throne proceeds eternal life and sustenance and satisfaction. His throne will always be there. It has always been there. And no matter what you experience in your life, you never forget he sits on the throne and he hasn't forsaken you. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you experience. He's still there. You know, I look at the generations of people that are in this room and the different lives and stories that are represented in this place. And here's the thing. Many of our lives are not that much different from the lives of people who don't follow Jesus. Both the believer and the non-believer experience chronic sickness, cancer, diabetes, all kinds of challenges. Both the believer and the non-believer suffer the loss of loved ones. We're all going to end up in that space, every one of us, non-believer and believer. We both are going to experience pandemics and epidemics in our lives. We're going to see economic ups and downs. But the difference for us is in the peace that comes from knowing that a sovereign God sits upon the throne in your life and in history. I think of the difference between a kid who's born into a home with a, a strong father who loves that child. Like that child has, has a, a deep sense of trust in a father. They don't know why. They don't understand it. They can't articulate it. They just rest. That father can carry them into the most dangerous of times and, and the child just rests in his arms. Why? Because they, they trust. They know that the dad has them. They, they may not be able to talk about it. They may not be able to articulate it. But they know that their father has them. An orphan, they don't, they don't have that experience. 
I know this. I know this in our own lives, in our own families, as we've seen this in our own daughter. Like, she struggled. Like, she she didn't grow up under that. And so, for her, as things come at her, she she's responsible for creating protection. She's responsible for control. She's responsible for safety. And it creates tremendous fear and tremendous anxiety because she can't. This is the difference between us and the non-believer. The non-believer. Like stuff gets thrown at them and it just generates fear and anxiety because they can't control it. They have no hope in it. But for us, we have a father who has promised to hold us and keep us and take us and carry us and give us an inheritance and a new day. Amen? Like it doesn't matter how dark your days are, they're going to get brighter if you are in Jesus Christ. Let me just say that again. It does not matter how dark your days are. They are are going to get brighter if you are in Jesus Christ. This is what Paul says. Yeah, clap for him, right? Paul says this in Corinthians. He says, for this light and momentary affliction is preparing us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen, they're transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Listen, it may not feel light, and it may not feel momentary. Some of you have been dealing with stuff for, for 80 years. But you know what? In light of 17 billion years and beyond, it will seem momentary, and it will seem light. That's the hope of the believer. And the non-believer doesn't have that hope. Because they don't have a sovereign God who can make sure that happens. So never forget, church, that we have a sovereign God who sits upon the throne. Never forget and remember that we are to endure in our faithfulness. I said that I hope that we are stirred to greater faithfulness, but it cannot go without saying that to be stirred to faithfulness means endurance. It's a long game, it's a long haul. This is not a decision that you make one time in your life and then you're granted salvation. This is a marathon. And if you've been walking with Jesus for just a little while, you know that it's going to take encouragement. It's going to take refreshment. It's going to take training. It's going to take being around pace setters. For those of you who are runners that have run marathons, like you know what that means. Like You have to train for it and prepare for it. You're going to need people to encourage you, handing you those little Gatorade cups on the way. Like you, you need that to be able to run the race. And here's why we know that. And Revelation is full of it because we know that trial is going to come. Trials of many kind. Hunger, thirst, pain, death, poverty, temptation to sin, thorns in our flesh, the hatred of the world coming at us, painful and slow dying to our flesh as we try to lay those things down. This is one of the reasons... I'm so excited to jump into the book of James next week. Some of y'all laugh because you know James talks about this. Like, count it all joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. Like, how are we going to live this out? How do we do that? Well, we need to remind it first and foremost, we need to endure it. Because if your expectation is that God's greatest goal for you is to be happy, healthy, safe, secure, wealthy, comfortable, and entertained, your expectation is wrong. And not only is your expectation wrong, brothers and sisters, you will find yourself disappointed in the midst of the race and you will bow out because the race is hard. 
And Revelation, man, like, it, it tells us the race is hard. It's difficult. It's long. It's been going for 2,000 some odd years now. I hope it doesn't go for 2,000 more. But it's long. So we need to remember, we need to be enduring in our faithfulness, not just stirred to it. Next, we need to bear faithful witness. We need to be remembering that we need to bear faithful witness. And I don't mean just proclamation. We're going to get to that. What I mean is that everything you and I do bears witness to some hope, some belief, or to some worship of some God. Everything we do. It's evident in daily practical life, which is, again, why we're going into the book of James. This is such a great practical book for that. But your life, my life, it bears witness to what you believe in your heart. More so than anything your words bear witness to. Your life bears witness to more than what your, in your heart than what your words do. Jesus is coming soon. Remember last week? He says it three times. Behold, I'm coming soon. Behold, I'm coming soon. Behold, I'm coming soon. So live like it. We need to live like it. We need to spend like it. We need to use our time like it. We need to love one another like he's coming soon. We need to prioritize things in our life like he's coming soon. You teenagers, if your parents go out of town and you have a party and you know they're coming home, there's certain things you prioritize to fix the house to get it ready for them to come. Prioritize your life because you believe it to be true. Peter says this in 2 Peter Do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, as some count slowness. He's patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar. And the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. And the earth and the works that are done in it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be? What sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire? And dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. Brothers and sisters, what type of people ought you to be? What type of person ought I to be? What type of person should Tom Butts be? What type of person should Tom Brunley be? Happy birthday, Todd. I had to throw that in. What type of person should we be? We are to live. Lives that bear witness to Jesus' majesty, to his beauty, to his goodness, to his grace, to his mercy, and to his inevitable return. We are to live lives of worship right now, bearing witness with so much of our lives, with, with not only our words, but with our works. Works like proactive works, like caring for the poor, the orphan, the widow. Loving a neighbor, inviting a non-believer into your home, 
praying for your waitress or your waiter at, at, at the restaurant you go to today. We're to be full of good works that glorify Jesus, but we're also to be full of works of restraint. As we pursue holiness, we restrain ourselves from the pleasures of the flesh, seeking to be faithful, bear witness to the goodness of Jesus Christ. Revelation gives us a beautiful foundation for such lives as we see him more clearly, hopefully leading to loving him more deeply and seeing that the reason that we still wait is that he is patient. And brothers and sisters, there's billions of people in this world that still don't know him. So remember your calling. It isn't just to be nicer people hunkering down until he returns, but to be a purposeful people for the expansion of his kingdom. So, brothers and sisters, go, therefore, and make more disciples. Go make more disciples than what are here right now. Go make more and make them of all nations. We don't don't neglect anybody. Make them of all nations. Next, we need to remember the restoration of all things is coming. Everything we see here is a shadow. Shadow of God's perfect intent for this world. Everything we see around us has been corrupted by death and sin. And Jesus came to break hold and break in, to redeem, and the promise he's going to recreate it all. So fix your eyes on this hope, on your inheritance. Let your joy be with Jesus in heaven so that when he returns, when things in this world get worse and harder, you are not crushed, you are not given to despair, you are not destroyed, and you remember that you were never forsaken. We press on towards the prize. And we remember that this is not our home. This is not our home. Anytime you forget that this is your home, you go right back to Revelation chapter 21 and chapter 22 and read it again. And remember, it's not your home. Anytime you start to despair, you remember this isn't your home. Anytime you feel that crush, you remember this is not your home. This is the hope we have. Next, this is the last one. We desire, or the, remember the desire of God and wrath and judgment is repentance, not spite. The desire of God and wrath and judgment is repentance. This is true of you and me and for those who do not know him. So how is this true for us? You've heard me ask multiple times in this series, have you made peace with your sin? Have you made peace with your sin? Have you been seduced by this world? Remember that Jesus, the Lion of Judah, he was not slain so that you and I could remain in sin. He was not slain so that you and I could remain unchanged. He was not slain so that you and I would remain slaves. He was slain to redeem us, to deliver us, to free us, to save us, not just from sin, but also from ourselves. He he wants to change you. He wants to make you new. He wants to make you live that life abundantly. He didn't allow the nails to be driven through his hands and feet so that we could just live our lives however we want to live. He died so that we might be holy. Ephesians, Christ loved the church. I love that. Christ loved the church, and he gave himself up for her. 
What, what a text. Husbands, men, as you seek to love your wife as Christ loved the church, that's a great text to remember. Christ loved the church and he gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. Revelation pleads with us to take our spiritual health and our holiness with more serious than we take our sports, our education, our fitness, our health, our politics, our work, our businesses, or anything else. To take our holiness is more important because he died to purify us. He died to sanctify us. If we're succumbing in any way to the dragon or to the beast or to the harlots or to our flesh or to, or to this world, brothers and sisters, we need to repent. We need to turn from it. The bowls, the trumpets, the seals, the plagues, the locusts, they're all reminders of why Jesus came. He came to sanctify his church. He is the one who comes to redeem. But you know what? We also need to remember this for the non-believer, right? Because this is God's desire for them as well. He wants them to repent. The bowls, the trumpets, Seals, all those things are there to call them. Come to me while there's still time. I don't want you to perish. Come to me. Come to me. The worst of sinners, sinners that you come across are sinners, those that are in darkness, those that have the sword coming for them. It is imperative to warn them, to point them to the love of God so that they too might repent. Like this is the whole point of Jesus' sacrifice. I just want you to think about those people that you see as enemies, they're not your enemies. I mean, think of the group of people that you are most disgusted by their sins. Think of the individual that has been the most hurtful for, to you, that doesn't know Jesus. Like They're not your enemies. They're deceived. They're in darkness. They need you and me to share with them the gospel of Jesus Christ so that the Spirit of God can open their eyes and they can be saved from the judgment. Like this, is, this is your calling. It's my calling to hear the significance and the importance of this, brothers and sisters. I, I want you to close your eyes. Just do me a favor. Just close your eyes and I want you to hear the words of your God to you if you are a believer of Jesus Christ. I don't want any distractions. I want you to hear the words of God to you. I have made you a watchman. Whatever you hear or whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you, my people, shall give them warning from me. If I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you give him no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way in order to save his life, that wicked person shall die for his iniquity. But his blood I will require at your hand. Those words are weighty. They are weighed. Do you hear the cry of your God say, I've told you, I've given you the gospel. Man, 
I, 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 revelation is full of the wicked being perishing. And they're, they're full of the wicked coming underneath the judgment of God. And he's saying, I've told you, don't keep silent. If you keep silent, if we, his people who have his word, keep silent, they are going to die. But God forbid their blood be required at our hand. Man, that's, that's weighty. Revelation is surely communicating to us all that if the wicked do not repent, they will surely die. Will we be faithful to tell them? Will we be faithful to tell them? All of them, the worst of them, the ones that will hate you and persecute you, will we be faithful to tell them? Oh, that revelation would stir all of our hearts to more boldness in this. And I hope that it does. And you know what? You don't have to be a scholar. You just need to, to bear witness to the work that he has done in your life. You just need to give testimony to the work that he has done in your life. So, three practical things that I want to encourage you to do today. And they're going to sound really small. The first one is to take the takeaways home with you tonight. So as you walk out the doors, you're going to get these little blue sheets, and they have those goals, and they have these five things that I've just talked about. And I want you to take them home, and I want you to talk about them with your families. I want you to talk about what this means for our lives, uh, because this is something you carry as you read the book of Revelation, as you read God's Word. And I want to encourage you even to, to come back to Revelation, read it by yourself over the next couple of weeks with these things in mind. So, so take those takeaways. Second. I want to invite you into deeper community. If you are one who believes that solitude alone is what you need to be faithful, you are sorely mistaken. And I want to invite you into deeper community. We need one another. We need one another to encourage each other. We need one another to stir us up, to hold us up underneath our arms when we are the weakest, when we are the tiredest, when we need prayer, when we feel like we're being crushed, when we don't understand what God is doing. We need brothers and sisters to come alongside and to be there. You're going to need it. You're going to need to be for someone else. Like you need community. And so right after the service, I want to just encourage you. Um, we've got two opportunities that are out in the lobby that you can talk about. One is our gospel live classes. So let me use old school language, Sunday school class. If you're not part of a gospel life class, like, go sign up. Go find out uh, what those are all about. Because each week after the service, we gather together in smaller groups with this, within this building to talk about the sermon, to talk about what God is doing in us. And, and there's all kinds of groups. There's groups for senior adults. There's group for um, young marrieds. There's group with marrieds with kids. Like, go get involved. Go get involved in community. It's the easiest way for you to find other people that you can connect with. Listen, if you get here at 9.30, and I know that's like 10% of you, right? Like, you just be honest? Like, I see y'all come in in third song, right? Okay, so, so if you get here at, let's say 9.30, all right? Let's just say for the sake of argument, 9.30, and you're here till 12, which is the gospel life classes tend to end somewhere in that space. That's two and a half hours. That's just shy of a long movie. You can't give that every week to the Lord. 
like just shy of a long movie. Like, I get it. There's lots of stuff in this world for us to do. But listen, if you're like, man, I just don't feel comfortable with it. Community is never comfortable. Sometimes we don't even like the family we've been born into, let alone that we get given to us in Jesus, right? My family's never comfortable. Community is never comfortable. It's never easy. That's why when God says that iron sharpens iron, you know when iron sharpens iron, there's little flecks of iron that get ripped off. Like that's the way it works. Like it's never easy. There's always going to be an excuse. There's always going to be someone you don't like. Maybe it's me, right? There just is. Here's the thing. Like you, you can't walk this faith faithfully, this life faithfully by yourself. And so gospel life class, that's the easiest way to do it. You just go afterwards. And so those, there's tables out in the lobby afterwards if you want to call, talk to someone about what that looks like. Then we've got house churches. Those are different because they're not intended to be Bible studies. They are intended to be times where you gather together with brothers and sisters to, to encourage one another to actually live this out in your life, to be missional, to, to talk about how, what's going on in your homes, in your relationships. These are the people that are going to bring meals to you when something goes wrong in your family. And so if you want to know more about house churches, there's a table out in the lobby about house churches. We also have an informational meeting next Sunday on August 28th. And so listen, I want to invite you into deeper community. It is so important, church, that you get involved in community. This is great, but man, it's better to be in a small space. Lastly, prayer prayer. Jesus says, watch and pray. Jesus tells us all, Jesus himself went up to a mountain to pray over and over again. Like, like we are to be a people of prayer. We can do nothing apart from Christ. Nothing. You can't, can't run this battle. You can't run this race apart from Jesus. And so prayer is the most important thing. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to end with a time of prayer. So I'm going to lead us in several different things that we're going to pray for. And so it's going to start with just you and Jesus. So I want to encourage you to, to, to go ahead, bow your head, close your eyes. And I just want you to, to just, just do whatever posture you need to get in to just spend some time with the Lord. Because the first thing we need to do is ask the question, is there things in our lives we need to repent of? If we want to be faithful and we want to endure and we want to fight this battle, none of us are perfect in this room. So is there things in this space right now that you need to repent of and you need to lay before Jesus, you need to confess him, and you need to just say, God, I, I've been doing this my way and, and I'm done. I, I just want to lay it down. This is a time for you to do that. And here's what I want to do right before we enter into this time of silence. I want to invite a couple of our pastors and elders and staff members um, prayer counselors, would you just make your way to the front? I just want us to be available during this time. And I know that that's weird and it's awkward. You're like, oh, there's no way in the world I'm ever going to go up and pray with somebody. But listen, we're all the same. Like, it doesn't matter. And I just encourage you, if you want prayer, like, they're going to be up here with you and ready for you. But right now, just take some time. And the things that we've talked about today, I just want you to go just you and Jesus. Just you and Jesus. Just confess what you need to confess. Repent what you need to repent of. Take this time.
Father, it's easy for us to deceive ourselves. And that's not even to mention an enemy who wants to deceive us. A world that's constantly trying to deceive us to think well, we're, we're good, we're all right. But Lord, we cry out in this moment that you would search us, try us, test us, and see if there's any wicked way in us. Father, we would be humble enough to admit that we are not righteous in our own. And that we would confess and repent. So we're going to follow. So Lord, just, just show us. Father, for those that are yours, those that have put their faith and their trust in Jesus and the, the, the work of his, his blood and his death and his resurrection and his ministry and, and, and we believe in his power and his authority and we believe that he is coming again. For those, Lord, that are in this room that have put their faith in you, Lord, I pray that you would help encourage their, their hearts, assure them, and remind them that they will not come into the new heaven and new earth because they were good enough. They will only come in because you dress them with fine linen. So encourage their hearts in the midst of failure that they might stir themselves, like, like that you might stir them to greater faithfulness. Father, I pray for those that don't know you. Some in this room may think they know you and they don't. I pray that you would help them to feel the weight of their sin. I know this is a hard prayer, but I pray, Lord, that you would, you would just help them to feel the weight of their sin so much. They, they, can't, even, they can't even breathe. They just feel, man, I gotta deal with it. They can't sleep tonight. Lord, I just pray that by your spirit you open your eyes to their need for you and that you would help them to have the boldness to come and talk. I pray and ask, Lord, that you would do this.